You're listening to Earshot from WXXI News. I'm Veronica Volk. This week, some physicians and patients believe racism is a factor in the historical underfunding of sickle cell disease research and treatment. You have doctors looking at me because I'm Latina. You have doctors looking at others who are African-American. And they're saying, "Mm, are you really in pain? Plus, we're talking Fringe Fest with WXXI and City's arts team. This year is a transitional year, and it's an exciting one. And it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. All that from your local news podcast, Earshot. Support for Earshot from WXXI News is provided by Rock Vox Recording and Production, presenting Legacy Cast, audio and video recordings of loved ones telling their stories for posterity. Produced in a full service studio located in Bushnell's Basin. More at rocvox.com. Sickle cell anemia is a blood disorder that originated in parts of Africa. Scientists believe the disease originally developed as a protection against malaria, and it still continues to plague communities of color. Racial disparities in the healthcare system have delayed the advancement of treatments, but my colleague Raquel Stephen found out that the disease is beginning to get more attention and its patients more options. She has this story. So this is my vitamin B12. Every morning, Destiny Hannah takes a B12 vitamin. She then takes a shot of beet juice and a milligram of folic acid. She says these supplements are important. These just support my blood, help carry oxygen, help boost my red blood cells. And that's what I'll do on a daily basis. Hannah is 22. She has sickle cell disease a disorder that causes red blood cells to change shape from round to more crescent-like. The changed cells can get stuck together, affecting blood flow and causing an intense reaction. It's like a burning, excruciating pain to the point where, like, it can just knock me out sometimes. Sickle cell predominantly affects people of color. According to the CDC, one out of every 365 African-Americans and one out of every 16,000 Hispanics are born with the disease. Dr. Jeffrey Andalina is the director of pediatric bone marrow transplantation for UR Medicine. He specializes in transplants for sickle cell patients. He says sickle cell historically hasn't received as much attention or research dollars as other illnesses. He believes racial inequities have been a factor. Certainly 20 or 30 years ago, there was a lot of concern that sickle cell disease was not getting the funding that pediatric cancer got or that other rare, you know, other genetic diseases received. Stephanie Ramos is one of Andalina's patients. She says she has encountered racism when seeking treatment for sickle cell. You have doctors looking at me because I'm Latina. You have doctors looking at others who are African-American, and they're saying, "Mm, are you really in pain? Hannah, who is Black, says she feels very supported by her medical team, but she has heard from others that the bias is in fact real. You know, there's stigmas when you go into the hospital that, oh, these people are drug-seeking. They're only here for the pain meds to get their fix, when in reality, we're in excruciating pain. They're far from alone in their experiences, according to Common Ground Health CEO Wade Norwood. This history of racial bias 
I think it's not a bug. It's a feature of the American healthcare system. But he says he's beginning to see a change in the way people acknowledge these disparities. The fact that there's community ownership of this issue is in and of itself a, a dramatic improvement. And Alina has also seen some advances. He says within the last decade, more emphasis has been placed on sickle cell disease. There have been a lot of grassroots groups for sickle cell disease and a lot of um, a lot of really invested docs in sickle cell disease that are really pushing it forward. This new awareness has opened ways for more research and government funding, and that's helped people like Stephanie Ramos. After living with sickle cell for more than two decades, Ramos accepted the risk to reverse her disease through a bone marrow transplant performed by Andalina. If I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out swinging. I'm going to go out fighting. Luckily for Ramos, her twin brother was a perfect match. She has now been living sickle cell free for seven years. Hannah hopes for a similar outcome. Her dad is a 50-50 match, and she now anxiously awaits her procedure date. It's going to be a whole new body, whole new life, and I'm really excited for it. Raquel Steven is the health reporter for WXXI News. Hi, this is Evan Dawson from WXXI. And if you're enjoying Earshot, then you'll want to subscribe to our other podcast, Connections with Evan Dawson. That's me. On the podcast, you can catch up on discussions about current events, arts, politics, and interesting people. Subscribe to Connections with Evan Dawson, where you subscribe to Earshot from WXXI News. The KeyBank Rochester Fringe Festival is going on right now with live performances every night until Saturday, September 25th. Here to talk to me about the festival this year are my colleagues in the Arts and Life Department here. We have Rebecca Rafferty, the life editor at City. Hi, Rebecca. Hey. Daniel Kushner is the arts editor for City. Hi, Daniel. Hello. And Jeff Spivak, arts and life editor for WXXI News. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Veronica. So for those who aren't as enmeshed in the arts world as you guys, let's talk about what this festival is and how it's different right now. Basically, what is Fringe? And what is Fringe 2021 specifically? <laughs> it's built around the concept from uh, Edinburgh, Scotland. The idea is to draw in and give a platform to arts that maybe just you're not going to see everywhere. Well, last year we were hit with a pandemic, and so it was entirely virtual. This year's festival marks the return of live in-person performances as well as virtual ones. And so this year is a transitional year, and it's an exciting one, and it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. So one of the main differences between the eight years initially and the last year, 2020, with COVID and, as Dan said, this transitional year, is that we're not seeing the mass gathering, outdoor headlining events of the past. Um, we had a French street theater troupe with gigantic painted inflatable balloons doing some storytelling down in Parcel 5, um, there have been uh, mass karaoke events, but obviously these for, you know, taking safety precautions, those types of events aren't happening this year. 
All right. So what have you guys seen already? I'll start. Um, underwear. I generally go to the uh, Cirque du Fringe shows, You generally in the Spiegel tent, but Spiegel tent got caught in Belgium because of COVID. So um, they're playing in the uh, kind of roomy Italian circus tent, Matt Morgan and his crew of uh, sideshows performers. And uh, I saw that first night here, and um, it's always a tradition that uh, Matt drops his pants at some point or another. So, <laughs> But in a general, uh, the show this year is built around a quartet of astonishing women athletes, and, and they are truly athletes uh, with uh, balancing acts and juggling and um, just in general showing a real skill with throwing knives around and not impaling each other. What about you, Becca? So sort of ironically, I also... I uh, saw a show last night in which someone got near nude. They were wearing a, near, a nude suit with a, a sort of a an improvised figure drawing session. So this was from the group Bushwhacked. Um, they perform annually, their local uh, duo. And the conceit this year of their show, their comedy show, was that picture having uh, one of those drink and draw sessions or those classes where you drink wine and paint together. But it's set in the Renaissance. The hosts are um, ladies of some royal court, and um, everyone in the in the audience is auditioning to be the court painter. So it was kind of an elim- elimination challenge as well, and uh, just a lot of fun, a lot of levity for my second night of Fringe. And it wouldn't be Fringe without a little bit of nudity. Certainly not. Which kind of speaks <laughs> to like the offbeat nature of the shows that you're going to see at this festival, which I think people have really come to appreciate. Yes, indeed. And, um, you know, juxtaposing with my, my first night of Fringe was um, something that, as Jeff mentioned, there's some workshopping element for um, some of the local theater groups. And Aspie Works produced Ghost Story at The Muck, which was a serious play. The main characters were a um, cancer patient and... Um, her therapist, who is trying to put her in a brighter mindset. Um, And the play tackles all of the the really complex and difficult emotions that people face when someone, either themselves or someone that they know, is is facing death. Your your experience is is, uh, very typical of what's happening this year, and even more so this year than other years, where you can have a light show like painting under the influence of alcohol, and then a very serious subject matter, like you were just describing. And there's a lot of that this year. I think that in general, this year's Rochester Fringe Festival, both in the programming itself and the way it was put together just by necessity and circumstance, is really about making sense of things after upheaval. And so I think what you see is... A lot of shows that through focusing on various social issues and perhaps, as in some of the examples mentioned, not focusing on social issues and just taking a break from that Hmm. and escaping, they're all ways to make sense and move forward with all we've been through, not just with COVID, but with Black Lives Matter, other social issues just the state of the country. Right, both a reckoning with the last year and a half that we've had and also maybe a little bit of an escape from it as well. All right, um, one final question I want to ask you guys before I let you go, and that is basically why 
if people haven't been to Fringe before or if they haven't really experienced uh, a Fringe show, what makes Fringe important for this community in particular? What kind of sets it apart from the other festivals that you see in Rochester? I think because it's got such an emphasis on the performing arts and especially coming out of a year where we didn't have a lot of gatherings, being able to sit in a space with people, albeit limited, a limited crowd, and experience theatrical arts, dance, um, and, and be moved by the kinds of stories that are presented, the ways in which artistic talents, comedians share their, themselves with us, and to bear witness to that as a group and together as a community. is It's just so nice. Having a, a lot of it in volume in a short period of time kind of feels like Christmas time every year when it rolls around. It's just it's energizing and exciting. It's great to see what everyone's been working so hard on. Jeff, Dan, love to hear your thoughts. A city is not built just for a place as a place to go to work and then at five o'clock you go home. A city is built as a resource for people to experience, in particular the arts. And one of the things I like about events like the Fringe Festival or Jazz Festival, larger things like that, is just wandering around the street, maybe not even being somewhere at a particular moment, but just hearing what people are talking about and seeing on a warm summer night our facilities being utilized in a way that really draws people together and draws people out into the streets or into clubs and away from the isolation of their homes. And we've had a lot of that recently, and it just feels good to be out right now. Veronica, you ask what sets the Rochester Fringe Festival apart from other festival or festivals or events in Rochester. And I, I do think of the other festival that's most comparable in size here, the Rochester International Jazz Festival. And when people go to the jazz festival, they're often... I would venture to say more often than not going to see a particular act or a particular kind of music, something familiar, something within their comfort zone or that they already have a lot of experience with. And I think what's different about Rochester Fringe Festival is that there are so many opportunities to do the opposite and to get outside your comfort zone and to check out something totally different. And I think that that's really valuable to get people to have that kind of experience. And as Jeff said, to, to come into the city and to come out onto the streets and, and really sort of partake in that kind of shared experience as a community is, is really special. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you for your continued coverage of this festival. Thanks, Veronica. Thank you. Thanks. Rebecca Rafferty is the life editor for City. Daniel Kushner is the arts editor for City. And Jeff Spivak is the arts and life editor for WXXI News. You can follow their coverage on our website, wxxinews.org. And a heads up, City will host its annual fringe event called Trivia City on Thursday, September 23rd. So grab your friends and test your knowledge of local news, the arts, this year's fringe shows, and more for a chance to win prizes. The event is free. Find more info on their website, rockcitynews.org. You've been listening to Earshot from WXXI News. And we want to know, what are the stories you're thinking about? What are you talking about in your community? Drop us a line at earshot at wxxi.org. 
And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to keep up to date on local news. Find even more at our website, wxxinews.org. Music this week from Blue Dot Sessions and Poddington Bear. I'm Veronica Volk. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of member-supported WXXI Public Broadcasting, Rochester, New York.